and welcome to a new episode of A Woman in AI. My name is Kim Dressendorfer. I'm a technical specialist for AI at IBM, and I'm more than happy to introduce our new interview partner for today. She's a distinguished engineer, the leader of the IBM Watson IoT Center, and an expert member of the Commission for AI for the German Parliament. Let's welcome Andrea Martin. Hello. <laughs> yeah. First of all, thank you so much for joining this interview today. I'm more than happy. So how about we just kick it off right away and you just tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah, absolutely. First of all, thank you very much, Kim, for having me for this interview. Um, a really brand new, exciting format. So I'm Andrea and I have a passion for people and technology. And I'm really happy that the job that I have as the leader of the IBM Watson Center in Munich is one where I can combine these two passions. Um, because we, we work on technology, on brand new technology, including AI, topic of today's interview. Um, but we also work a lot with people, both the IBMers, but even more so with our clients. In these times, you know, most of the clients come virtually, um, but um, we also see that very, very slowly people are coming back face to face. So that's what I do today. Um, but I look back at it almost 28 year career at IBM and I've done a variety of roles that basically all somehow combined technology and people, even though I may not have been aware of that. Right, so I started um, as a specialist working on client projects, then I became a consultant, which finally made me also a distinguished engineer and also had a variety of global roles where I worked with our biggest clients worldwide and also a large technical community, which was a very, very exciting role when I was the president of the IBM Academy of Technology. So it's always, you know, working with people um, because I think collaboration is key to be successful. It's never one person on her own or his own and um, using brand new and state-of-the-art technology to bring value to our clients. That's kind of what I do. It's really exciting. I mean, was that always your, your passion or like your dream as a kid to become a woman in IT or a woman in AI? <laughs> no, no, not really. So when I look back and I just recently had a, had a kind of a private interview where I was also asked, you know, what did you want to become when you were a kid? And indeed, I think the first thing that I can remember is I wanted to be a, um, a medical doctor. And then um, probably based on many, many vacations with my parents where we always visited interesting sites. I wanted to be an art historian, so quite something completely different, um, also than a medical doctor. But it turned out in, in school that mathematics was just my favorite subject, and I wanted to go into more detail, in-depth in, in study what's behind mathematics. And that's why I ended up with a degree in applied mathematics. And the applied part was very important for me because I thought, well, the theory is nice and you need that as a foundation, but it's really important to bring it into the reality. And that's why I said, I need computer science, I need business administration, I need economics. Um, and that's how I finally ended up in, in IT at IBM. That is really a nice path. It's so funny. Yeah. I also wanted to be a doctor when I grew up. I was like, oh, well, yeah. I can't see blood. I can't do that. So something <laughs> else. I mean, yeah. and, and like you, you had such a long career, 28 years. And it's been like you, you and for example, like when I started, I already been in that area where I like had just three other females in my, for example, studies. 
So how did it, how was it like 28 years ago? Like, were you one of the, the only ones in the classrooms or how was the diversity? Yeah, when, when I look at the university years, um, applied mathematics didn't have lectures on their own in, in the faculty, but we always were together with either the, the pure mathematicians or the computer science students or um, even, you know, some of the engineering faculties. And, and so it was, a, it was a good mix. So I, I, I was never, you know, one of two out of 300 or so. Um, especially in applied mathematics, it's quite interesting um, that we almost were, I think, 50% women. Um, and I always thought there were two, actually two subjects where you could apply mathematics. The one was more the economic and business, business administration side. The other was what called technical mathematics. It was a combination of math with an engineering or physics. And in these applied subjects, the, the ratio of females was much higher than in pure mathematics or computer science or any of the other engineering subjects. As if, you know, it's, it's a cliche, as if women always look for how you can apply something and make it real and create value with the subjects rather than just studying the, the theory. So, no, I, I didn't feel as kind of a lone figure in, um, in, in a large crowd of men. Um, it wasn't the case, at least not in my memory. Maybe it's, you know, already growing dim because it's so long ago. <laughs> well, that's really interesting. I mean, like, where do you think um, some of your, like, um, study partners, like, went for, for the jobs? Because then you said, okay, 50-50, but when we look at the, the AI and the IT section right now at work, like, we don't have that ratio now when we just look at the, the work environment. Right. Yeah, that's true. And I mean, if you quite honestly, I mean, I, I was a little bit joking because in applied mathematics, it was this 50-50 ratio. Yeah. But if you looked at computer science back, back at that time, I think the, the female ratio was 15%, 1-5, right? And I think even when I, um, when I got my degree, I think it was already down to, from the 15%, which was quite astonishing. I think it was less than 10%. Um, among the students when, when, you know, when I finished and those students who then started their degree was eight or nine percent in computer science, at least at my university. So yes, of course. I mean, if you look at IBM, um, we're fortunately much higher than the 15 percent. Um, I think we are somewhere between 30 and 50 percent in IBM. Um, but, but still, in, in many areas, in many fields, um, we are, at least as females, not the majority, to say the least, right? That's really interesting. I mean, like, when, you, when I can ask you a question. So when you look at the time you started working, you really had, like, client-facing projects, right? Like, starting from, from when you started as IT specialist, going towards the time now as a distinguished engineer and, like, a, literally the leader of the IBM Center, um, do you feel like your behavior changed on how you step into a room, like wanting to like get a project done? I'm actually not sure. Um, when, I, when I started at IBM, I was definitely in a situation that you, that you described. And I, I um, came into a team of about 60 people. Um, there was one so-called team assistant, let's say like an executive assistant, mm -hmm. and me, that were the women in these 60, person in this 60 person team 
Um, but the interesting thing is, I always felt that I have an advantage to this. Because when I looked at some of the other male colleagues that started around the same time in this team, um, they had more challenges to learn things in a practical way. Because with me, all the male colleagues wanted to take me to their projects and kind of, you know, have me with them and show to their clients that we have this diverse, um, this diverse team. While some of my male colleagues, they kind of stayed in the office because no one volunteered to take them with them in, into their projects. So you sometimes, I think, have to use the windows of opportunity that you, that you get offered and just walk or climb through them uh, and take this opportunity. And I think, you know, the, the, because you asked, do you enter a room in a different way now than 28 years ago? Certainly. But I think that has more to do with gaining more life experience than, than anything else. You, you certainly automatically grow confidence in your subject matter expertise or as a person in general, the, the older you get. It's just the case. That's what happens. Um, and, and certainly also the couple of leadership classes or trainings that I attended during my IBM time, experiences that I gained with on various events and so on that has all formed and has grown my confidence. I'm, I'm not sure if it was all, you know, if, if it had something that, to do with me being a woman. I, it, it depends on how confident you feel with the subject matter expertise that you have and that you bring to the table. And it's a, also certainly a personality trait to yeah. a certain extent, right? I mean, like, especially talking about the confidence you gained, because nowadays there's a lot of pressure on females to just like be a specific mm -hmm. role and like, like kind of like fulfill kind of stigmas, like being the perfect woman, the perfect wife <laughs> and the perfect body, the perfect career woman and like also perfect mom. Like, what would you give an advice for for like young females, especially to kind of like tackle that issue? Yeah, M my advice would be try and find out as best and as hard as you can to figure out who you are and then stay true to yourself. I think that's kind of the only recipe. It sounds simple. It is not simple. Um, but I think in the end, you don't have to play a role. But if you are yourself, then you will find a role that also fits to you. Because not everyone also needs to be a leader, right? Because some people, they, they don't feel comfortable leading an organization or leading a team or being always the technical expert standing in front of 300 people and presenting. Some, you know, for some people, it's just not the right thing to do. So it's important for yourself to find out who you are, what you like, what you're good at, what you want to explore further, and then stay true to yourself. I think that's probably the, the one advice. And because the, the, the second advice probably because you mentioned being perfect and being the perfect career woman or being the perfect wife and being the perfect mom or whatever. I had some challenges a couple of years ago that basically had nothing to do with me being not perfect or perfect, but I had back problems. And I felt it's not just a physical thing. I also have to work on the, the attitude towards everything. So I worked with a coach, right? And, and this coach, first of all, helped me to create a value framework for myself, which is really hard work, by the way. 
and then also she said, you know, why, why do you spend so much time on this and that? And that and said, because I'm a perfectionist. And he said, ah, okay. And then she started asking questions. That's what coaches do. And then she asked about, you know, who's, um, who's taking care of the household, who does, who does laundry, who does the cooking, who does the cleaning up. And I said, oh, well, my husband and I, we both enjoy cooking. We have this split up. I do the laundry. He cleans up the kitchen. Everything else is done by um, someone that we hire that, that comes to our house and cleans. And, you know, and if it's not cleaned up all the time, I don't care. And then she kind of looked at me, it was over the phone, but she looked at me and said, and you think you're a perfectionist? And I thought, oh, interesting, right? There may be areas where I want to be a perfectionist. For example, if I prepare something for clients, I think they deserve things being at least almost perfect because they pay for our services and our products. But there are areas in my life where I'm not perfect and I accept it. And that was a completely new insight for me. And that helped me a lot to relax. It's quite interesting. That is really fascinating. Yeah. I like the but, Yeah. Yeah. But there's one thing, and that's just rather a joke, right? Um, I learned a couple of years ago that there is a pank. And a, and a pank is the perfect aunt, no kids. And my husband and I, we didn't get kids, but my sister has three. So I'm the pank for those three. Right? So that is lovely i like that a lot um if you because you, you mentioned like being your perfect like being true to yourself um it kind of brings some some sometimes some soft skills you kind of like bring along mm -hmm. because at the end we still are in a room mostly with most men in it um are there some soft skills like talking to and like preparing and like especially a kind of pitching a project which you think are necessary and like something young females especially should like learn to to um just like to get them yeah communications is definitely one of the most important soft skills i would say and improving your communication style and also figuring out when to communicate in which style in which environment i think is a very important one and that the good thing about that is you don't have to be born with it you can learn it and um, that's definitely an important skill. The way how you present, the way how you start a presentation to grab the attention of an audience, um, to practice that, that you kind of make yourself big when you speak, right? That you are really upright and open instead of making yourself small. That's the little things that, that I would think are important, not just for women, it's, it's important for men, but maybe from a posture perspective, it comes more natural to men because they are kind of educated, rather educated like this. I know it's all cliches, but you know, it even helps um, to practice it before a presentation. It's, it's hard to visualize now in the video, but really also putting your arms broadly on the table, right? That makes you bigger because it, it opens up your body and, and that yeah. automatically makes you feel more confident. It's quite interesting what happens. There's this one saying, you um, fake it till you make it. Right? So pretend you're really brave. And then finally you will, you'll find you, you become more brave, actually. When you fake it often enough, then you become more brave because you figure out it works. Yeah. Right? So that's, that's the kind of things. And maybe small hint what what i hear 
relatively often from women and not so often from men is that in a conversation um, when you want to ask a question a lot of women say sorry can i ask a question Ooh. and i always wonder why why do you why are you sorry for asking a question you want to know something so just say i have a question and then you you ask the question right? and it's little things that you can practice and i you know i'm not perfect yeah, talking about perfectionism in this where do you go by yourself like because i because i mean our area we're working in, it's kind of like redeveloping in you know, a two-year mm -hmm. rhythm where do you go to just like practice and also like learn those skills and like do you have recommendations especially for like younger women to just like say like okay this is for example a youtube channel which is interesting or a special podcast yeah i, I don't have a special one so I, I kind of look around and surf around a little bit and sometimes I, I just find something and then I stay with, stick to it and, and have a look at some other videos. There are a couple of really good um, podcast series. I rather watch videos because then you can see how it works. Mm. Um, I can't tell you one from, from the bottom of my heart at the moment, but I could send you one so that you can post it together with this video, for example. Like, yeah. you know put it as a subtitle i have to look for it actually and a lot of it is um practicing so uh, we have this one behavior at ibm that we favor that says think prepare rehearse right? and that's what i for especially for important occasions events where i present um town hall meetings that i for example host i really think about what's the storyline based on what is the result that I want to achieve? What is the things that I want to leave the audience with? What should they remember? And then I built the storyline so that I can kind of move towards this target. I think about, um, you know, how, how do I need to prepare? What's the material? Is it a presentation with slides? Is it just a speech? Is it a talk? And then I indeed, for, for important occasions, I rehearse, right? I sometimes write down the words, maybe not all of them, but I, I have a little notepad where I put down the words. And by putting down the words, it helps me memorize. That's how my brain works, right? So when I then finally speak, I probably don't even need the notepad because I still remember what I wrote down. Um, but I think rehearsing and really thinking about how do you start and how do you finish, that's really important. Do you have a tradition before you present? Because um, every time I present, I'm getting super nervous and I'm like starting to like sweat. <laughs> so I start to pass. And then I like start to just like used to like walk around or like up mm. and down the hall before I go on the stage. Like, do you have a tra tradition? No, I don't. <laughs> I have heard that it helps some people if they, if they have one. Um, I mean, breathing definitely helps. Right? I have heard from some people that they go to the restroom and take three or five deep breaths and, and also, you know, spread their arms so that they make themselves bigger and feel more brave when they walk on the stage. Um, I rather, you know, try in, in, the, in the minute before I go on stage, I try and memorize once again kind of my first lines so that the start is good, mm. right? Because you don't want to, you don't want to get the start let's say wrong or um with stumble so um that you can start well you get the attention of the audience and 
if you then you know have to restart a sentence in the middle of your presentation it doesn't really matter that's true then we're talking about the passion again right as soon as yes. you have passion in your presentation the people will be will be more than happy to listen to it absolutely um especially like talking about the learning i know you have some mentors as well and um i mean you've been like long into the mentoring a part of ibm as well do you have like an advice you kind of give your mentees for like overall feeling self like feeling good about themselves mm -hmm. so the, the one thing that i basically tell everyone is you have to find the things that you love doing because then you will be motivated to do your best and then you also will be good right because there are sometimes discussions about oh, i want to pursue this and this career path and i'm now here and i need to go there and to do this i need to do this but i'm not really a fan of doing this right and and then i always try and figure out together with my mentees is the goal that they have the right one in that case if the steps in between are things that they don't like doing because if if you don't like the steps towards your goal then you will not be as good as you could and then the question is will you reach your goal at all right i don't say that you don't have to do things from time to time that are not your favorite things to do but you should, you should, there should be a balance between you know how much of the work that you do are things that you don't particularly like or enjoy and how much is really something that you're passionate about as you say so i think the most important thing is besides finding out who you are so that you can stay true to yourself what is it that you like doing what is it that you enjoy most and then figure out how can you make that kind of your profession i like that a lot because the, the the kind of new trend of how also especially in an AI kind of kind of works is there's so many new job roles coming up as well. So even if you think you might have a career path which has been successful the last let's say 20 years, it could completely change because there are just new job roles coming up. Um, could you give advice like how to find a good mentor, especially like for example like matching or mismatching kind of like what kind of Add, like attributes that you kind of need well i one of the most essential things is that the chemistry is right so that you get along well with your mentor if you don't trust the mentor if you don't let's say like the mentor at least to a certain extent at least my personal experience is it will not really work because in a mentorship relationship um you you share some very personal things right if you together want to find out who you are and what you enjoy most and what your passions are these are a couple of very personal things and also sometimes the feedback that you get from mentor or that you may share with a mentor is very personal feedback and goes deep into your personality and sometimes shakes you up right and and so having a mentor that you reasonably like and can trust that's a very important thing and therefore you know if you get a mentor assigned it can work it doesn't have to right? because typically these these mentorship assignments they don't look too too deep into the personalities of the of both persons that's the one thing um the other thing is sometimes a mentor mentee relationship comes quite naturally so you work in a certain area of expertise 
you probably have someone who is more experienced in that area of expertise. So if you don't know what to do next in a project or in a development um, area, you probably ask this person. And sometimes this evolves into a mentoring relationship. Um, because I think that's the other thing when you think of a network or mentoring, it sometimes grows naturally in your area of expertise because you become known for something and then you know people in this field and sometimes this becomes um, a natural mentor. Um, but then of course there are also some, let's say general career mentors and then could be from a completely different field. But keeping your eyes and ears open and see with whom does it click, I think that's a, that's a, good, a good thing to do. That's not very you know, practical advice, but um, maybe if you, yeah, keep your ears and eyes open and then just ask people if they would like to be your mentor. And I would say 99% of the cases, at least in our company, um, they will say yes. I think it's also great that we have like platforms like LinkedIn nowadays. Mm -hmm. You can look for people and hopefully with the Women in AI initiative, we can create a platform as well where we can find mentors for, for the listeners of our podcast. Um, one question, what was the best advice you ever gotten? Um, that, that was actually on my first day at, at IBM, if you talk about professional advice, right? Um, yeah. And my, my very first manager, he said to me, you know what, Andrea, you can become everything in IBM, but you have to take the initiative. Basically, you have to own your career. If you ask for things very, very often, you kind of get them, right? And you get the opportunity to work in a certain area and, and so on. So I think that was, you know, on the first day in IBM, probably the perfect advice for a career in IBM. You can achieve you know, not, of course, not whatever you want, right? Not everyone can become the CEO of the company. If that's the wish of many people, right? We know that. But if you ask for things and say, I'm interested in AI, I would like to work in that field. I would say most managers, most leaders try the best to support you in achieving this goal. Even if it means um, you have to leave the team and work in a different team. Um, at least that's my experience. That is amazing. Thank you so much. One more question before we end it off with this amazing interview. What is your favorite app on your phone? My favorite app on my phone is um, indeed WhatsApp because it helps me stay connected with my sister and the kids. You know, I'm the punk, so I have to stay connected with um, my sister and her family. And one of my nieces is old enough that she can also use her um, smartphone in the Wi-Fi, not with a with a phone card, but in the Wi-Fi. So um, I have also contact with her over WhatsApp. That is amazing. Yeah, Andrea, thank you so much for this really exciting interview. I had so much fun, and I hope the listeners as well. Um, if you want to follow along on Andrea's further journey, follow her on LinkedIn, and we're gonna add all the show notes at the end. And the <laughs> excellent. Great format. Thank you very much, Kim, for inviting me. Goodbye. Bye. Mm -hmm.